ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. So, Tegan, what's on the menu for your Christmas Day? Oh, um, pav. There will be mango. Mm. Mango will be involved. And if my husband has anything to do with it, prawns will be involved. How about you? Traditional. I do turkey. Oh, and can I come? Yeah, well, I, I, it's just not Christmas Day without turkey as far as I'm concerned. And I, I, I use a New York Times recipe, which is amazing and basically doesn't allow you to baste the turkey. And oh. you brine it, dry brine it. It sounds like a recipe What's show. What's dry brine? Is that just salt? Well, you, yeah, so we don't want the salt people coming down my back. But yeah, you use salt and herbs, rub it on the inside. I think, I think all health like, and nutrition advice goes out the uh, window. That, that, that's right. I think we can agree, yeah, okay. at least this week. Well, now I've got the freedom to say it. So you, you rub salt and herbs on the inside and outside and you uh, put it in the fridge uncovered so that the skin dries out. And then I haven't got the recipe in front of me, but the way it works is you don't buy a special self-basting turkey and you rub it with olive oil and a bit more salt and herbs before you put it in. And largely the instructions are don't open the oven, don't touch it. Um, I think at one point you do bring it out and turn it over and... X number of minutes later, according to the weight of the turkey, you've got this perfectly cooked turkey. It's amazing. That sounds incredible. I might need to revise my Christmas menu now that you said that. Yeah. Also, I think that there's nothing more Australian than importing middle of winter European recipes, oven on all day, buttery pastry into like 35 degree heat when having the oven on is just such an imposition. But we just do it to ourselves anyway. And then we overeat and have a snooze, which is really what today's What's That Rash is all about. Yeah, let's get into it. I am health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turrbal Land. And I'm Dr Norman Swan, a physician and journalist coming to you from Gadigal Land, which is part of the Eora Nation. And today's question is from Pat. Okay, so my question is, uh, why does eating a lot make me tired? I can be feeling fine and then eat a massive lunch and I just feel really lethargic and sluggish afterwards. So I was wondering if there's a reason I feel so tired after eating a big meal. Okay, so I do really want to know what's happening in the body, like at the kind of cellular process level after you eat, but also like before you eat. What are these signals my body's sending me? Well, let's go back a bit. Feasting is an ancient evolutionary thing. Oh, it so is. And uh, God, thank you for bringing that up because it's one of the things I love the most. I think the thing that's really interesting about humans is how soft and squishy we are. We have no natural physical defences. yourself up in the chair. <laughs> I mean, apart from your rock hard abs, like there's no sort of physical, we don't have talons, we don't have like fangs, we don't even have fur. Uh, but what we do have are giant brains and cooperation. And humans are so cooperative and civilizations are sort of like the kind of outworking of that. And really fundamental to civilizations is this idea of feasting. And there's so many things that play into it. Like partly it's about displaying power if you have resources and partly it's about like traditions and rituals. And, and the availability of food. Yeah. If you go right back. So and you, everybody listening to us knows about the phrase, you know, feast and famine. And, uh, and having the feast and famine genes and indigenous populations probably have a stronger dose of those genes than... Uh, what do you mean by feast and famine genes? So that we are geared towards laying down things like fat and protein 
and going for a few days without it and being very efficient at laying down fat and protein to the extent that if you come from South Asia or you're um, an Aboriginal person or a Torres Strait Islander, you are so efficient at laying down fat that you are actually obese at a lower level of BMI than uh, you or I as, you know, as Anglos, if you like, because, we, because they lay down visceral fat incredibly efficiently. And visceral fat is very useful for mobilizing energy, but it's also pretty toxic in the modern world. Yeah, really good for survival in the way humans have lived for most of human history and less useful in very recent human, human history. That's right. So you're at more risk of diabetes and so on. But let's get back to Pat's question. Yeah, so this idea that we, we know that feasting is part of culture. Um, we don't feast every single day, but we do sort of have these these moments like this time of year. And so with that comes this like snooziness, which is lovely on, you know, a summer afternoon. But why does it feel so, like, it doesn't feel like I can fight it? No. Well, you can't. Because it does come back, and that's why it was worth talking about the feast or famine, the hunter-gatherer, where you go hungry for a few days, then you catch the kangaroo or the bison or whatever it is, and then you have this feast. And it's called postprandial somnolence. Oh, that's a great word. I mean, phrase. And we we tend to think... Things that happen in the bowel, are, if you like, are on a closed loop. They, they, you, t- you take your food, it gets absorbed through and into your body, and it's a closed loop. But in fact, it's your nervous system, your brain and the unconscious nervous system that actually controls a lot of this. So there's two bits of your nervous system. There's a sympathetic nervous system, sorry we're getting technical, and the parasympathetic nervous system. I'm here for system. it, this is great. So the sympathetic nervous system, it, going back to hunter-gatherer times, that's what's on. When your sympathetic nervous system's on, you're alert, you're a bit anxious, you're watching out for danger, you're running to spear or whatever it is, your, your food, and then you bring it back. And your nervous system, the nerves in your body, get ready for action. They get ready for action by breaking down fat so that your energy is ready, breaking down glycogen, sometimes even breaking down muscle into amino acids. So it's all about making energy as immediately available as possible. And it's called... Catabolism. Catabolism. Not metabolism. Well, it's part of metabolism. So there's this thing called metabolism, which is how our bodies work. And there, one aspect of it is catabolism, which is breakdown. So when you're spearing, looking for food, hungry, you're catabolic. When you come back to base and you throw the bison on the fire, you butcher it, then your nervous system says to the body, okay, folks, that's over. The parasympathetic nervous system, let's just settle down here. We've actually got to build back what we've lost. And so the parasympathetic system, it shifts blood to the gut. It tells the liver to start making glycogen and fat. And uh, the muscles start building protein again. So your body goes into a building process. And that process, which is driven unconsciously from the brain and the nervous system, slows down your body. And you do that most efficiently when you're napping and, and just staying still and not doing anything. So postprandial stomolence is an evolutionary phenomenon. So when you snooze with the Boxing Day test, just think you're getting fatter. I'm basically a caveman. Well, yeah, there's so many different things that are happening in the body. Um, one thing I found really interesting about this when I started looking into it is just the way your vascular system changes, like your blood vessels that are away from the digestive system, like in your hands and feet, they narrow. It's like funneling 
blood to the area that's, that's right. doing the digesting. Like we're just optimizing digestion. That's right. And um, you know, the blood supply to the brain stays pretty constant because that's a protected organ. But in general, everything shifts. And if it's a warm day as well, then your body's fighting with um, blood going to your gut, blood going to your skin to, you know, to lose temperature. And if you're lucky enough to be near the sea, jump in. So the size of the meal obviously makes a difference, more to digest than more sleepy. But what about the types of food that you're eating? Because I'm thinking about the sorts of foods that are on a Christmas table. Carbs, <laughs> unrefined carbs, refined carbs in a huge number. Yes. Is there something special about carbs? Like you were talking about bison and stuff before. Uh, there is a little bit of evidence that carbs might make you more sleepy because effects on the liver and so on. But it's not entirely clear whether there's that much difference between food types and your postprandial somnolence. A little bit of evidence, not a lot. It's really just in general that you will feel more alert when you're in a catabolic state. So anybody who's been on a keto diet, they know that after a day or two, they feel on and wired. And, uh, and that goes away when they start eating a normal diet. And I think it's more just the calories coming in that makes a difference. What about, so you were talking before about the idea of like cave folks and they've gone out and they've caught their bison or whatever, they've come back, they've eaten it and then they fall asleep. And obviously there's an evolutionary benefit to resting, digesting and rebuilding your body. But it's also, I would imagine, like a risk. You expose yourself to danger if you're sort of just drifting off to sleep just because you've got a full belly. I suppose that's true. Um, but you know, the, the main danger that we've got from feasting is weight gain. <laughs> and this is actually, so there's been a recent study which found you think that you put on weight evenly through the year. When you look back at several years of people's weight pattern, that it's been a steady weight gain. No, it's actually you've been putting it on seasonally. And so Christmas is a time when you put on your annual weight to some extent. So that's probably the biggest danger rather than being murdered in your bed. <laughs> Oh, come on. One big meal isn't going to make you fat for the rest of the year. Not that even that should necessarily be the metric by which we're measuring health anyway. Okay. When do your Christmas parties start? Oh, man. November. The alcohol intake, the carbohydrate, the nibbles. It's not just one meal. Indulge me. I indulge myself. Why should I indulge you? <laughs> so, oh, okay. You, you mentioned alcohol intake. Surely that's got to play a role in how sleepy you feel on a, a Christmas afternoon. Ab 100%. Absolutely. That's going to have an effect. Look, and, and people talk about tryptophan and amino acid and how that might communicate with the brain and stimulate. There's a hormonal sequence. There's this organ in the brain called the hypothalamus connected to another organ called the pituitary, which sends hormonal signals around the body. There's another hormone called orexin. Um, so, the, the, you know, there are conceivable pathways here why all this works through individual nutrients. But the reality is it's you're taking a big meal and the brain is saying to your body, slow right down, we're in building mode. We're obviously eating more than we usually do, but like, I mean, we stop eventually. What makes you stop eating? Well, speaking personally, I've never quite worked that one out. I wish I knew because I just eat and eat. He's literally eat. got a turkey leg yeah. in his hand, right? And look, there are social cues and there are physical cues and um, there are hormonal cues. And of course, that's what the Ozempics help to do, The uh, these GLP-1 agonists, is that they send a signal, which is that you're full and you stop eating. So there are hormonal signals that come from your gut and go to your brain. There are hormonal signals within the gut that go to your liver and to your pancreas. So there's all these loops that we don't fully understand, but we're slowly uncovering them. And that's where this 
these 70-odd weight loss medications come from. But they, they are signals from a full stomach, from the insulin that's coming out of your pancreas to metabolize the sugar, get the sugar into your cells, to the building up of fat in your abdomen and in your liver, all send signals back to the brain to say, whoa. But, you know, usually for most of us, that whoa comes a little bit too late. It's a very soft voice. The thing that gets me about talking about like nervous systems and hormones and that sort of thing is actually just how universal this stuff is. Like we humans like to think we're really special, but we see these sorts of things in the animal kingdom almost universally. Like I even found studies about worms and like worms get sleepy after they eat as well, like tiny little round worms. And so what sends a worm into a food coma? I don't know, slime, I guess. There, you, there you are. So now for everybody that's listening to this, what's that rash? You now know what will make you feel full. Just think of a satisfied worm. A little sleepy, satisfied worm. Yeah. So sleepy worms, we love them. But back to, back to Pat's question, I'm pretty sure Pat's a human, not a worm. What's the takeaway here? So what's the answer for Pat? It's an evolutionary thing. Don't worry about it. Not that I think Pat was worrying about it. Think about what's going to happen after Christmas and enjoy your snooze. Yeah, go have a nap. Have a, have a little think about what your next question is and then send it to us. That rash at abc.net.au. Or via the ABC Health Instagram. We'll see you next week. See you then.